Hey you guys, hope you're well. I just wanted to take this opportunity and let you know about our amazing new business scalability scorecard. So have you ever wondered if, you've, if you're an entrepreneur, you're a business owner, and you want to grow and scale the business but not sure how, and you're looking for some advice and you're looking for some strategies about how you could effectively grow and scale your business, well, this is your opportunity. We have actually created an amazing uh, business scalability scorecard. It takes you around seven to eight minutes, and at the end of that, it will actually create a report of all of the things that you're doing particularly well in and the things that you need to make improvements to your business. And uh, it's a great tool and a great asset for your business. To get free access to that, go to bit.ly forward slash business hyphen scalability hyphen scorecard. Go there, go now. Take care, see you soon. This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome. I'm excited because I'm always on here trying to add some value, some service to our community. So anyway, interestingly enough, today is June the 30th. Can you believe that? June the 30th. We're halfway through 2021. Hey, that's crazy, right? I can't even believe. Where is the time gone this year, ladies and gentlemen? I just haven't got a clue. I just don't know where it's gone. But uh, I, I don't know about you guys, but uh, it'll be good to know how you are getting on with 2021 and how, you know, and, and if, it, if you're not having the best of years, what can you do to change that? Not just that mindset, but more about how can you change the results in your business and in your life, right? What can you do differently? Okay, because like last year is the same as this year, you know, things are going to be, you know, still working in the digital world. So what can you do to adapt and be flexible? But if you're struggling and you need to reach out to, to, to myself or any of our guests, then feel free to do so. Anyway, I want to move on because we've got an exciting show today. The reason we're ex- I'm excited is because this particular gentleman, uh, we've met a couple, we've met actually a couple of times here in, in Stockholm, Sweden, and he's been following me for a few years. And what I love about him is that his, not only his experience in the HR field, but he's got such a wealth of knowledge uh, with regards to uh, understanding the corporate world, but understanding how a business culture should be and how to build up a thriving business culture because he's been in that environment, uh, especially in the HR domain and things like that. Got a wealth of knowledge, um, especially in the IT sector. He's a mentor. He's also one of our contributors uh, we did a collaboration, which we'll talk about uh, towards the end of the show. So, um, listen, put your hands together for Mr. Stefan Tonin. Woo! <laughs> Thank you, Adam. Thank you. What a wonderful introduction. I cannot be more proud of myself this time. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing today? Happy Wednesday. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Fantastic weather in Sweden again. So it's literally the heart of the summer. Absolutely. It looks like you've actually been catching the sun 
Uh, it, it actually looks like you've got you caught the sun there. Just looking at you. Have you been on a sunbed, or is it? It maybe is that the sun has been so good in in Scandinavia that you've actually caught got some sun there. It's crazy. <laughs> a weekend in the sun, and looks what happens. It's not even that I'm blushing, although it was a great introduction, by the way, Adam. <laughs> I'm blessed. You're welcome. It's all good. Listen, um, great to have you on the show today. Um, and um, um, just for the benefit of some of the listeners, um, whether it be they be listening into multiple channels right now, give because um, I know you pretty well. I've given them a little bit of a snapshot about your experience and stuff like that. But tell us a little a, a kind of how did you get into HR? Why HR? And what was the fascination? Yeah, I tell this story quite a lot. Um, I'm actually not trained in HR. I have more than 20 years experience in HR, but I literally just fell into HR. And pretty uh, pretty early in my career, I saw that HR was actually a pretty interesting tool to get to the center of the business and really understanding businesses. Because as we all know, you know, you can build up businesses, but if you don't have the people, then you go nowhere. So people are just a key in that whole process. Uh, so I started very, very small as a recruiter and just built my career from that because I was very interested in how corporations actually work and how HR can be a tool and a method to help the business grow and go forward in many, many ways. And that's what interests me about HR. It still interests me a, a great deal. Uh, but to be fair, I spend 40, 50 percent of my time in the business itself as well, to just understanding the business, where we want to go help form the organization, the organizational design. And I have to say the last year and a half, uh, particularly to the outside world, HR has become becoming extremely important given that we are working on a pandemic and HR needed to step up the plate and actually help their employees to be as successful as possible, even though they were working from home with all the challenges that they had. Mm. So yeah, yeah, an interesting world to be in. Definitely. Um, interestingly enough, I know that you've worked for numerous companies in your career, uh, mainly in the IT industry, if I'm not mistaken. Um, what have you? What have you? Um, I mean, I mean, in your from your perspective, in your opinion, um, I know that you you like me. I, I like to. I'm really fascinated about company culture and how it differs from one company to the next type of thing but what makes one company culture different from another company in terms of its distinction between the two what do you like and what do you dislike about it well you need to work for a company at least that's my personal opinion that has the values that that synchronize with your own personal values Mm. If their values mismatch, then you will see that you probably can be successful, but in the long run, you won't be successful because there's a difference of opinion about the core thing that you believe in. Um, mm. you, you hear a lot about culture and values and what that actually means. I mean, the values of the company is what everybody believes in. The culture is what the people make out of those, out of those values because they might mm. differ in different countries, right? A, a culture in Spain might have the same value system, but the culture might be slightly different than a culture in the UK or a culture in the, in the US. But the yeah. people themselves build the culture based on the values that they have. And as long as the company from top to bottom believes in the values that they represent, and they're not just nice posters on the wall, but they actually live them, then it starts building a company that you can be proud of and where people actually want to work. As long as you hold on to those values, that will 
create the company that you want and that will create the culture that you want. Now, if, if you go to a company where you go to interviews and they talk about nine, ten different values or ten different statements about the culture, um, I would argue that ten of those you cannot remember. I mean, we're all human beings, we can remember quite well, but from a value statement or a cultural statement, it's only three or four. That's where it starts. So if somebody tells you the culture is seven, eight, nine things, and you go inside the company and you ask the teammates or the employees, they probably cannot remember all of them. However, if you have three, like we have an inside right now, it's hunger, heart, and harmony. Those are very, very strong values that we represent. Our customers know our values, but also the teammates know all of our values because it's three, it's easy to remember, and they stand for everything that we do. Again, if you have a company with posters on the wall and you don't feel that those posters actually represent the company itself, then it's just a marketing fling uh, and you should not necessarily align to that. I just hate that when you, you know, when you go into a company and I've seen it before, right? You've got, um, you know, um, companies, some companies feel like they, they put posters up or they, they, they can't just, you know, they have these training orientations it's like do you know these company values and but really like when you talk around with all of the other employees in the team that they 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 have some sort of idea but there's 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 incongruency between the answers does that make sense it's like i don't get it right (laughs) do you know what i'm saying you know, a lot of them are born from a marketing perspective, right? Because you publish them anywhere. Um, yeah. And value should be the essence of the company itself. It should not be a marketing tool. It's the essence of the company, how we treat our teammates, how we treat our employees, and how we treat our customers. There should be yeah. no differentiator there. Love, love it. it, it here's a, an interesting thought here, Stefan. And I mean, you've been working in sort of corporate world for the last sort of 25 years. And you, you know, the company that companies that you've been part of have obviously gone from one level to the next level, right? They've they've generally gone scalability level, right? So, one of the, I suppose, my questions, my, one of my questions to you was, especially with our listeners, which are mainly small business small business owners, but they can be CEOs of larger companies, um, around the. If I wanted to expand into another territory, another country, or whatever it might be, okay, like you've just highlighted the fact that everyone can have the same values, right? Then Spanish culture is very different from Swedish culture and and, and British culture, right? They're all very different cultures. Some, a, a lot of our listeners are a little bit worried. Well, if I expand into this territory, right, what's going to happen to my company, right? Because they're worried that they they're not going to get this what I call gelling together, this kind of synchronicity where everyone's singing off the same hymn note. What have you found from experience? What things of uh, what 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 I suppose what are the kind of the pitfalls of going into a territory? That's my first question. The second one is what advice do you have for company owners uh, or business owners that want to move into territories? What are the things that we need to look out for? Yeah, one of the things that they definitely need to do, they first need to have their value system that they already built up in the country where they started. Whether you're a small business or a bigger a bigger business, if your values and your culture system is there, you can expand that to other countries and cultures wherever you want to expand. I think that if you look at businesses, it's more difficult when you acquire companies because then there's already a culture and a value system in that company. 
Now, yeah. if you do acquisitions, you do them for a number of reasons. It might be to scale because you want to be bigger than your competitors. It might be the IP that they have, or it might be um, products that they sell in that country. So there's, there's a number of things that you want to do. If, if we look at acquisitions today, we look at acquisitions in a different way. We look at, do they carry the same values as us? So is it something that you can slot in from a cultural perspective? Because we all know mm -hmm. from an acquisition perspective, a lot of those acquisitions don't go well because they don't gel together. The cultures are too different and therefore you almost have like two different companies. And that's what you always want to avoid because it's still a people business. No matter what kind of business you are in, the people still need to run that business for you. And if those cultures are clashing, that will create a problem. I don't think that from a cultural perspective, if you start and expand your business and you want to start somewhere else, other factors are probably more important. So is there a market for you? Is there a labor market for you? So can you actually get the resources that you want? How attractive are you going to be as an employer in that, in that, in that world? And how do your customers fit to your current portfolio? So those are different questions. Because if you need to hire employee number one in that country, you make sure that they speak the same language, they have the same values, and they have the same culture, right? That always helps. That's what I find. <laughs> if you speak the same language, that helps as well, by the way. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> always, always a tough one, otherwise. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because do you feel like, well, based on your experience, do you think that if – if you're acquiring another company, you know, so if you're a large company acquiring a slightly smaller player in the market and adding, you know, adding uh, sort of a product expansion to whatever it is that you're doing, do you think that from your perspective that if the culture and the values are so far and few between that they're just not going to gel together and it's just it's just like it's, it's a bit like chalk and cheese. They're just not going to work at all, right? Yeah, that happens. And, and sometimes that can be a very um, deliberate choice for a company to do, right? Because then you basically just buy the product, you buy the IP, and then you hire people that live your values and live your culture in that country. So, you know, you see plenty of acquisitions where they just want to have the product or the IP and not necessarily the humans that are building up that company. So they grab right. the product and the IP and build their own culture and their own values. And there's always, you know, employees in that country or in that company that you bought that want to adjust to that value system and you will keep them. The ones that don't, don't let them be around too long because it will destroy your company in the long run. I think that that is really important to understand. Very true. Um, interestingly enough, um, one thing that sort of came, uh, I, had an, I had an epiphany as you were talking, actually, because uh, a really classic example, when we're talking about M&A, right? was when Amazon acquired Zappos, the online shoe retailer. Now, they, I, I, and I think from my perspective, what Amazon wanted to do is they wanted to take, you know, they wanted to, do, uh, you know, uh, acquire a, a big player in, in, in that particular market, right? But what was really interesting is that Zappos had their own culture and values. And I think what Amazon did is they play, they, they, they bought the company, but they kept it as a separate entity, if that makes sense. Yep. you know which was a very smart idea by the way <laughs> um but yeah but that's, I mean, some, it's, that's sometimes what you do right if you want to scale or you want to buy a competitor and you don't want necessarily want to integrate them that that is a choice that you make but then the the, 
the choices that you make in an acquisition are so very, very important. When I started working in HR and I rolled into HR at Infor Global Solutions, we started with 200 employees. When I left, there were about 7,000. And we just tried to build the third largest um, ERP company in the world, which they are, by the way, right now, and then worried about how everything needs to come together at a later stage. So it was clearly just acquisition, acquisition after acquisition to make sure that we had scale and then sort out the culture and the value system at a later stage. And those are choices that you make as a company, depending on how yeah. financially strong you are or what your bigger plan is. Very interesting. Um, you know, I remember when I was, um, I was going to say, I was, uh, this was going quite, uh, back quite a lot. And I was looking in, I suppose, the health and well-being, corporate health and well-being. So our company was really trying to get a foothold into the corporate companies and building relationships up with HR directors and, and whatever it is. And interestingly enough, um, well, just to say, it was it was uh, it, you really had to dig your heels in as in you know if you made like i don't know it'd be a hundred calls hundred messages or whatever it is you might get two or three if you're lucky right and but i what i don't really understand is that you know in terms of hr function itself today right which which has changed over the last 10 years dramatically as you will probably would have uh, um agree with me but in terms of the way that you work in terms of your position, how is your how do you bring value to companies? Because a lot of like you mentioned, CEOs and, and sort of, you know, directors or such, they what's my return on investment? Right. You know, what's the point? Or what do I need a HR uh, department or director or whatever it is? It's just it's going to cost me money. These people don't earn me money. What's your take on that? That's a fantastic question. And if you would talk to my team, they would laugh right now. Because the first thing that I did with Inside, uh, I needed to build up the team. There were fantastic people in the team. I, I succeeded somebody else that has been there for many, many years. Um, and my focus on HR is completely different than probably traditional HR. I mean, anything that you do in a business needs to have an ROI. So you need to do something for a reason and you need to show that reason that gives a return to the company. So in any investment that we do in HR, whether I build up a, a learning and development organization, when I build up a talent acquisition team, whatever it is, the first thing that I ask for the team is, okay, if you want to have an investment in X, Y, Z, what does it actually mean to the company? Because the one thing that I very much dislike and it always pains my heart is that if HR is still seen as a cost center, because we're not. The biggest asset that you have is people. So you better make the right people decisions to make the company successful. Now, luckily in the last 10 years, things have come along with HR. And there's luckily many of my peers that are very, very strategically strong in helping companies to see the HR vision that is needed. But if my company decides to, um, because we're not in the Middle East yet, to expand in the Middle East, then HR needs to make sure that they're part of that discussion to make sure that we can add value. So should I open up in Dubai or should I open up somewhere else? And why should I do that? What is the analysis behind it? How many people from the university are there? What's the market doing there? What is the labor is there? All kinds of questions that we need to ask before we actually start opening. 
Well, if you look 10 years back, most of the times we will open somewhere and then HR comes in and says, oh, this is a challenge or that is a challenge. <laughs> and based, most of the times HR was seen as the machine that always tells you, no, you cannot do that. And that's something that I don't want my teams that I lead to constantly say. I want them to say, yes, but we need to do it in this way. So always understanding what the business process is and what the outcome is going to be. HR needs to be much more business outcome focused. So what is the business outcome of our, of our philosophy in HR? How can I help the strategy of the company amplify itself through its people? That is so, so important. Not just saying, okay, this is the strategy of the company and I will adjust my HR strategy. No, how I, can I help amplify it? How can I actually influence the strategy to even have a better revenue or a better margin or whatever it is? That's where HR should focus on. Very good. Excellent. Now, for some of our listeners in um, who run slightly smaller companies that not are not so large, um, when do you think a some sort of HR function should come into place? Should there be a certain turnover? Should it be a certain amount of employees? What's your thoughts on sort of the HR function? When should should you should you consider starting with a, an external consultancy, uh, or should you bring someone in internally? What's your thoughts about that, Stefan? Ah, uh, yeah. When I talk to business owners, that is an interesting discussion. So thanks for bringing that. <laughs> <laughs> business owners always struggle, right? Because if they if they go to consultancy, they always say, "Well, there's a tipping point at 50 people, then you should have something." And the reasoning behind it is always there's legal implications, there's things that you need to do, and otherwise, you know, if you need to terminate somebody, it's going to cost you. Blah blah blah. Um, I don't necessarily always agree with that. Uh, I think that you need to go back to the basics. So what am I building as a company? How is that build? How is that company is going to look like? And where is that company going to go? And if your company is full of the values and the culture and you want to expand that and you want to attract right, the right people for the right price, then you need HR earlier in the process. And I would argue anywhere between 30 and 40 people. And that person needs to be a true HR business partner. So it needs to partner with the owner, it needs to partner with finance to make sure that they can build a company that can, they can be proud of and then scale it out if, if needed. If your company is um, a company that doesn't have those values or the culture is not that important because it's just revenue generating and you know people come and people go, you don't really need HR. You probably need some legal support and you need a consultant that comes in every other week or so. Um, but if you're really a people-focused company, and you really want to make a difference and you want to make a sustainable difference to your to your customers, then HR should be earlier in the process. Because you know, it's it's all fine with culture. It's a, a saying that you hear a lot, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And that's so, so true. And if you are a person or a business owner that believes that, then you need to make sure that at least you start with a mentor sometimes that helps you from a people perspective. And otherwise, somebody else that can support you. Love it. Very cool. You know, I just, I, I, you know, as you're talking, I, I keep getting these epiphanies, so I must apologize. But one thing that I wrote down here, right, and one, this is, uh, a, I suppose, the million dollar question. And I suppose it's, you're probably going to have multiple answers for me. It just depends on, in terms of context. But in perspective, especially with people that are listening in right now, uh, that maybe have a small team or they're considering to bring in new team members or 
even if they run a large team, the fundamentals don't change. But my question is, um, how do you get the best out of your employees? Treat them very, very well. I can give you a very complex answer, but if you treat, <laughs> if you treat your people well, they will do well for you as well. Um, I, every Friday on LinkedIn, I, I make a post and it's uh, called Happy Friday. And I always have the side note there, kindness matters. Every time that you treat your employees well, they will treat you well as well. If you hire them for the right skills, then they will do what they are trained to do. Um, I have a team where, and I have experts around, the, around me that are subject matter experts in L&D or in recruitment or in HR that know way more than me. And it's almost like st what Steve Jobs says, right? Give them what they need to do. They know better, so let them get on with it. Uh, and my leadership philosophy personally in, in my whole career is just empower the team. Let them make decisions. And if it's, it's very heavy decisions, come to me. You know, we mirror around that decision and then make that decision. You know, people are trained to do things themselves. They will always do the right thing for the company if they get the room to do so. And that is very much firmly my beliefs. If you treat everybody right, they will treat you right as well. That is in business, but that is a personal level as well. I mean, if, if you and I don't click at them, then we wouldn't have a, a FICA in Stockholm together, right? Uh, <laughs> very true. I mean, that's how simple how it works. We are human yeah. beings and we, we seek for that social contact and we try to get the best out of each other. But there's a there's a word there, each other. It's not out of me or out of you, but each other. Exactly. I like it. Very good. You know, one thing that came into my mind and I remember, I, I mean, I've been an entrepreneur, as you know, for the last 30 years. And it was only one time that I ever had a job. Right. And I was working for McDonald's at the age 16 and I did that for eight years. Right. So I have some corporate experience and I learned some really harsh lessons, especially with regards to leadership and P&Ls. But one of the things that I suppose um, one of the things that came into my mind or one of those memories that I had was performance reviews. And one of the things that really drives me insane when we think of the word performance review I don't know. I don't know what your what your opinion is, and I don't know how you guys operate your company. But to me, it was just like very much a tick box exercise, and it was like um, it felt like it felt like I was going into a room to be told off, uh, not to give feedback, but just to kind of say you're not doing this and you're not doing that. Um, in terms of the word performance review and the way companies use performance reviews to, I don't know, however it is to rate, I don't know, rate their employees between one and 10, I, I just don't get it. But how do you effectively improve that process without, pe without people, without your employees feeling like they're being judged all the time? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that a lot have happened over the last couple of years, not in every company, but a lot of companies went away from performance reviews at least once a year, where, where everybody gets nervous about two weeks before because they have to see the manager and then you, know, you have a conversation like you had. You didn't do the hamburgers right at McDonald's or you get told off because you need to make them better or shorter or whatever you need to do, your, your rate was not good enough. And that's the conversation. Luckily, we moved on and most companies are trying to move on as well. So we call them at, at our company today, we call them connection meetings. And there's a connection moment with their teammate, and that is every quarter. And at the beginning of the year, 
we collectively build goals uh, that are aligned to the strategy that we have as a company. So we're all talking the same language. We all talk about where we want to be at the end of the year and also sometimes where we want to be in five years from now, although that might differ because the world is always changing it, you know. And specifically in the IT industry, you know, things are moving rapidly. But that connection meeting is together with the manager, together with the teammate, and they sit together and they talk about the goals that are over there. So what happened over the last quarter? Where, where are you now? Where do you need support? Or where do we need to adjust the goals because they're not realistic anymore or things just change? And also in that meeting, there's a development moment. So we, we encourage our managers to do development uh, discussions with the teammates as well. So they look at things that they can develop. Not necessarily always in their role to get better at the role, but it could be that they need a certification in IT or they need to get better at presentation skills or speaking skills. And that's what right. we discussed as well. It should really be a moment that the teammate and the manager come together. You sit for 45 minutes and an hour and discuss, you know, what have we done? What are we going to do next quarter? And how does that look like? There's nothing more important than creating clarity for your employees. If you don't create clarity, how the hell can they perform? I mean, sorry for the word, but how, how do they know where they need to go to? And we have, we have leadership commitments in our leadership team, and, and clarity is just one of them. You need to be absolutely clear on what you expect of them. Um, and therefore, I built with my team, for instance, an HR strategy. It's very clear from the beginning what the expectations is. Over the next 12 months, there's KPIs and measurements so we can see if you're on track. If you're off track, absolutely fine. Well, not always absolutely fine, but that's fine if you have the reasons every quarter that you see why you're off track. Love it. Very good. Uh, interesting. You know, and and I love and and you probably and I think you listened to the interview with Gary Reed and he talks about um, they created a pledge which is all around everyone taking personal responsibility and not feeling like you know you point fingers at other people to blame people you know everyone takes their own responsibility and it sounds like you kind of moved down that towards that avenue of of take, getting people to take responsibility and accountability which i think is yeah, and the question always is continuously feedback uh, i know adam you have been a runner it would be very strange to train and run for like four five six months and then after six months somebody gives you feedback no they give you feedback <laughs> time that you do to run right because otherwise you cannot improve you cannot do six months the same thing and then after six months your manager say to you well then you did that wrong you need to do it like this then you wasted six months of your energy to something that you need to then not learn anymore mm, i love it very good um interestingly enough because most of us have been working in the digital arena for the last uh well it doesn't matter, but it's been a long time anyway. Most companies are still not back into the offices. Uh, there's how do you? I mean, I suppose my last question really is how do you think the way corporate life will be? Um, you know, sort of moving into the new year of 2022. How do you think corporate life will be? Do you think that commercial? Do you think the way um, sort of flexible learning? Uh, sorry, flexible working from home will stay. Um, how do you think sort of general um, culture and corporate life will happen, not just in Scandinavia, but if you look across the Western world, how do you think it's going to change in the way that we the, the way that we live our lives? Yeah, great question. And uh, Elliot Kay, you had an interview with him, always told me that if you want to have a serious answer, you pause and then you give the answer. So I'm trying to do that. Um, 
I think what is important is that we humanize a little bit more what we do with our employees and how that actually works. Finding the balance between work and life, uh, it was completely gone over the last 15 months, as you know, because you know people that work in different situations at home. I, I regularly speak to my my team and my teammates and say, you know, we're all in the same storm, the pandemic, but we're all in different boats, right? Every situation is different. Somebody might be single and all alone, or somebody might be a single parent with four kids running around. Every situation is different, and I think that. We are going to an era where we are much more flexible per situation, what we're going to do and how we can be productive in life and how we can productive, be productive at work. I don't think that we continuously, I don't think that we really know what the world is going to look like because we're just responding to what has been and, and what we think will come. But I always say we are all human beings. We are all very much reliant on our social circles. And right now, our social circle is our family and some of our friends, and that's our social circle. You and I know that our inspiration and our motivation comes from colleagues that you have around you. So I see the office a little bit different. It must be much more of a social uh, place where people go. But in the end, I think that we go more to the office than we think simply to get inspiration from others because you don't get that at home. Talking to you on screen is fantastic because we can spend time together but having Fika with you in Stockholm and, and, and see each other and, and responding to each other is just a different conversation. And I think that that is still a very human skill that we will never lose. Very good. And it's interesting because I think you're absolutely spot on. And, and I think, you know, when you have that face to face connection and I, I'm, I'm big into energy and you know that, right? You know, it just like the chemistry is a bit different. And even though I love doing verbal, by the way, you, you just don't have the same kind of um energy as such compared to sort of a face-to-face -face connection which is which i think is really really important uh, yeah so might... and i know you're big on clubhouse and you do uh, quite some sessions there as well and, and your network is suddenly very very big but the, mm. there, there's like 80 percent of the people you have never met other than over the phone or in in a, in a screen like this uh, mm. meeting that personally is just such a complete different experience and and, and nobody can take that away from you so i think that the social interaction that we're going to have as human beings is is never going to go away because we love that too much. We want to see good. people have coffee with them. Absolutely, 100%. Listen, um, I was going to say, I know that we are well, we, we're going to be launching uh, a collaboration together uh, towards the end of, when is it, uh, Q4, October of 21. And I know that you've written a, um, a chapter in, in the new book that's coming out in, in, the, in my new third book and whatever it is. Tell us a bit more about what, what, what is in the, what did you write about and why did you write it? Yeah, so what, what I write about, and, and, and thank you for inviting me to the group. That's a great honor. And it was the first time that I really enjoyed writing a chapter and really had to think about what the subject would be. Uh, and there's many things I could choose from HR, but I, I took HR a little bit more general and it's more written towards people that want to be successful in HR and what are now the main things that they need to focus on. And by no surprise, if I start with people, of course, they need to focus on the people. So build that value system, build that culture. The second part is you need to make sure that you understand the external customers. So what are the external customers and how are you going to engage from an HR perspective? So don't try to just be internalized, but also understand what the market is, understand what a salesperson goes through. 
What do they do on a daily basis? How does the customer landscape look like? And then you need to build the relationships with finance and, and with all the other functions inside your company. Uh, before the pandemic, when I did presentations, there's always people want to have a seat at the table, as they always say in HR, uh, which I don't necessarily always understand because you first need to prove yourself. And then when I ask the questions on conferences to HR, so how many of you can actually read a financial report that a, that a, a finance or a CFO gives to you? There's only a happy few that know that. So if you want to talk their language and understand what they go through on a daily basis as well, you need to really understand what legal does, what finance does. So if you grab all those three together, you can build yourself an ROI and, and add value as an HR person. And I think that that is critical to be successful in an HR career. Very good. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, listen, Stefan, I just want to say thanks very much for being on the show today. We really enjoyed our conversations um, and I uh, hope you had some fun too. I had, yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me, Adam. It was a lovely conversation and I hope to see you soon. Absolutely. Guys, if you are interested in connecting with Stefan, you can probably do so. Probably the best way to connect with him is actually on LinkedIn because he's quite active on LinkedIn, by the way. Um, and, uh, you know, if you have any questions around HR, feel free to uh, reach out to him. I'm sure he'll be in due kind, uh, be happy to uh, to add some value to you and serve you and, and whatever it might be. So listen, guys, hope you've enjoyed today's show. Um, if you have any further questions, reach out to me and my team and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. So listen, I hope to see you again back in again uh, next Wednesday on the next Game Changer show. Take care and see you soon. Cheers. Fantastic. Thanks, Adam. Hey, you guys, I just want to say thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the Game Changers experience. I hope that you got some amazing value, some great insights and golden nuggets that you can implement into your business straight away. I would really, really appreciate it if you could leave a five-star review on the button below. Have a fantastic day, and we'll see you on the next episode. Take care.